Hi, I'm Laurel Simmons of the Right Club. The recent federal government announcements about short-term rentals were the latest in a number of moves by municipal and provincial governments that may have a severe impact on some real estate investors. Changes in short-term rental regulations can either be a stumbling block or a stepping stone, and we're here to ensure it's the latter for you. We want your real estate journey to be filled with successes, not surprises. So we are bringing you the conversation from our December 2023 national event with our panel of experts. Christopher McAvoy, who is a partner in Leap Accounting, Spencer Giles and Ashley Antidormi of Stalux Properties, who are owner-operators of short-term rentals across Canada, and Andrew Chubetta of Caveat LLP, who provides paralegal services for real estate investors. This is the first part of a two-part episode that gives you some details on how government regulations are shaping the landscape for your short-term rentals. Welcome to the Right Club Podcast, where the focus is on helping you, the real estate investor, advance to the next level. And now let's join this week's hosts and share ways for you to customize your life. Okay, guys, that big question. Has it gotten involved? Probably provincial governments have gotten involved. Where do we think this is going? Like, really, where is it going? I don't believe that short-term rental is dead. What, what's your opinion on that? Spencer and Ashley, why don't we start with you? Sure. We agree with you. We also don't think short-term rentals are dead. I think it's moving towards most municipalities and uh, provincial governments putting more of a box around how to operate and how to operate legally. There, I think everyone knows there's been a big push with municipalities putting together licensing programs where they can determine which homes can operate legally and which can't. And now the provincial and federal governments are also getting involved to kind of get a piece of that too and to help municipal governments regulate that. We don't think that's a bad thing. We actually look for places where we can operate with a license. It just makes everything very legal. Right now, there's a lot of gray area that people are operating in, and it causes a lot of friction between, say, neighbors, hosts, a municipal government who doesn't really know what to do because there aren't any bylaws in place. So we just have to start navigating what these regulations are going to be and then starting to basically follow them. Okay, well, that's a really interesting answer to the question that, that you like to see the a little more, I don't want to say restriction, but perhaps more regulation, regulation was the word, right? More regulation actually makes it easier because the rules are clearer yes. for everyone. Absolutely. Yeah, and in our experience, when you get a license and you operate within these rules, it's pretty smooth sailing from there and they basically leave you alone. It's just more peace of mind that we know we are operating within the box that you are given and then you can kind of flourish from there. Right. Okay. Good. Thank you. Uh, Andrew, so in terms of the where things are going, are you starting to see some impact in what you do in terms of the tenant landlord board? Is this affecting you at all or any of your clients coming to you within uh, problems? Yeah. So we're seeing a lot of changes recently. We've gone up about 15 to 20% in our office just on evictions for short-term rentals, people squatting on older Airbnbs and staying longer than they should have, that type of thing. And it's mainly because short-term rentals are now the new hot thing, right? And they're popping up pretty much everywhere. 
I sort of, you know, when I was looking at the recent changes in the law and, you know, getting myself brushed up on it. And I can imagine everyone thinking this is some sort of death knell for Airbnbs and everything else in between, but it's really not the case. It's not a significant hard punch as to uh, what the province thinks it's going to do and what is actually practically going to happen. They, you know, as Spencer and Ashley were saying, like, bylaw really leaves you alone once you are licensed, right? And it's only these outside operators that are running these Airbnbs probably shouldn't and usually these, there's ramifications with bylaw when it's happening and along with if the, the units are actually legal or if they're just non-conforming or whatever it may be but mainly speaking you're going to start to see a lot more people squatting on those properties in the next six or seven months and you know the rental market is hopefully going to make some shifts and sort of go with it but short-term rentals have been good for a while they'll continue to be good and not every municipality is taking this stance of adding additional taxes and adding additional licensing, right? So I know Muskoka now is moving into its, its licensing situation, but Muskoka is a great place to have a short-term rental. I'm thinking what I believe is the next, you know, four to five months, you're going to start to see, you know, short-term rentals in Hamilton, St. Catharines, Niagara, Ottawa, those areas start to change and the nature of them change. And maybe those investors move back to long-term rentals or mid-term rentals. But these other places, you know, the, the further outreaches of those large pockets of cities, they're going to continue to do as they always have. They didn't do really well. It's only certain areas that are going to start to see an actual, you know, tight button, you know, buttoning of ties and all that type of thing. You're, it's going to be a little bit difficult for those investors. But ultimately speaking, it's not a significant thing. And, you know, the licensing legislation coming out from municipalities like the fees are very affordable. There's usually not significant amount of issues that you have to deal with the city. The only one that I would say that's a highlight would be like Toronto because their license is a little bit more rigorous than other places. But apart from that, no, it's pretty good to be honest with you. Oh, okay. That's really interesting. I'm going to circle back to that, but I want to bring Christopher in here. And Christopher, what are you seeing with your clients, those people who do have um, short-term rentals? Are they having some concerns about perhaps tax issues or what have you, estate planning when it comes to short-term rentals, given what the legislation and some of the restrictions are, the changes are? So yeah, I'll start maybe by doing just a little bit of busting on the first part, which is that one of the big announcements with regard to Canada Revenue Agency is that if you're essentially operating an Airbnb or on one of these platforms in an, in an area where the municipality has outright made it illegal or in a legal jurisdiction where you're not complying, they can deny all your expenses. So it's not that they're denying expenses for all Airbnb owners all across Canada. This is going to become a very provincial and localized thing. So where you might see someone, let's say out in BC, for example, has probably been the most forceful with this. Uh, the province of British Columbia has, to some extent, outlawed it uh, unless it's in your own home, essentially, right? Whereas in Ontario, you're seeing a lot more of what Spencer and Ashley were describing, where municipalities are coming up with licenses and they're more than happy to take your money and let you do it as long as you follow some rules and so on. So I would say, number one, as Canadians, we're used to very much thinking about Canada as one big homogenous thing. And people actually are going to have to get a lot more thoughtful about, like, where specifically am I buying? Am I buying 
with the purpose of making this an Airbnb or with the purpose of making a long-term rental. And I think people are going to have to give a lot more thought to where they buy and for what purpose and also to how highly leveraged they can be. Andrew mentioned Muskoka, for instance. Cottage seasons are already relatively short and a lot of people are buying overpriced real estate, paying a fortunate interest, and now they're being told they can't Airbnb them. So those folks are having a bit of a hard time. Um, whereas other people, let's say in, we'll call it a more typical area, are doing what Andrew's suggesting and they're saying, okay, well, you know, I was maybe going to avoid taking long-term or mid-term tenants, but, you know, I can still be profitable doing that. So maybe I will just switch off of that, those platforms, right? Whereas uh, some business models only work with the higher revenues that the short-term rental can bring in. And those are the, the properties that are going to become distressed potentially as a result of these, some of these new laws. There is a dog in this, I guess you'd say, is that they're a federal agency. So they've essentially just offered to be an extra bulldog you know, to try to get people to comply with this. Sure, they'll, I mean, they're always interested in collecting some extra tax and I'll leave it there in turn. Well, that kind of brings up an interesting question when it comes to CRA. It's how would they know? Because you have the, the local municipalities either putting in bylaws or not, as the case may be, right? And there's municipalities across this forget Ontario, across the country. Then you have the provincial government with their regulations. And then you have the fans saying, well, we'll allow this, but we won't allow that. I don't even understand how CRA can keep track of any, everything, to be honest. like This is like a, a, a bureaucratic nightmare gone mad. I mean, look what happened with the under, underused housing tax. <laughs> it's just insane. Yeah, so I'll make two comments about that, and then maybe we'll go backwards across the panel again. So number one, I think any real estate investor anywhere in Canada should be watching their margins and building an extra cushion for additional overreach. You know, I think at least in the short term, let's say the next couple of years, you know, you're going to have added filing costs like the UHT, more municipalities are going to be bringing in licensing. So just as a word to the wise for anybody who's doing this, make sure you have some margin of safety there because the red tape burden is going to get worse, not better, at least in the short term. And the second thing I would say in terms of the how do they know, CRA does have access to the land registry, the same as most government agencies would. They do have some departments that regularly track that. Um, so like, I'll give you an example, like Canada Revenue Agency knows, has the database because everybody files their own taxes. So. They could actually, let's say you had three Canadians that had five rental properties in Florida. They know how many kilometers they are apart, and they can tell you if you're the only one not making money. So I've actually had that conversation with a CRA agent at a very high level at one point where a person was deducting a rental loss and they got a review letter asking them, why are you, why are you deducting such a high loss? And they had genuinely lost money. And the agent actually told back to them, you're the only Canadian within 20 kilometers that can't seem to figure out how to make money down. So, so we know. <laughs> so, wow. So uh, they could probably tell you how what you had for lunch today if you really wanted them to. So like, for instance, when you report, if you're doing legitimate reporting, you know, certainly if you're using the platforms, they report. So Airbnb and VRBO are going to report all the sales. And pass that between the land registry and your own filings. They're going to know what municipality they're in. So it wouldn't be too hard for them to 
continually track what are the other licensing requirements. For instance, anyone filing in BC, they're going to, that'll probably be one of their first questions if they see Airbnb income, you know, is this person entitled to deductions? Um, with that said, though, I will answer the second half of your question is that details are still coming out about exactly how this is going to be reported. Are there going to be new questions? So just like some of your point was accurate about the UHT, the rollout was very poor. Like they, they originally said that they wanted those UHT filings done by April 30th. They gave people maybe five, six weeks to figure it out. They bumped it forward to October 31st. And then at midnight on October 31st, they bumped it another six months, right? Because according to their filing records, still quite a few people have not filed that, that really they think ought to have filed. And I'll, I'll go on the UHT later if we want to circle back to that, but we'll then let the other panelists jump in. Okay. All right. So as Spencer and Ashley are in terms of your portfolio, well, first of all, can you tell us roughly how many properties, I mean, you manage um, short-term rentals, right? And, and, yep. and how many do you look after and how many do you have? We have just over 50 across Canada. I would say about 10 of them being in BC. So we're pretty familiar with what's going on there and the restrictions that they're putting in. We're, we're following along closely on that one. And then we own uh, six. Yeah, six yeah. In, in Canada. Okay. So other BC then, is it, a, is it as rough as we, we've heard with... with like as Christopher said, they're basically making it illegal unless you have a, a what a room in your house, like actually in your house and you're living in that property. Yeah. So it's, I mean, it's not for our portfolio. Obviously there's a lot of investors who would pick up 10 or 15 units in one building and do all of them on short term. So they're definitely getting hurt, but um, it's very similar to actually how a lot of the smaller municipalities are rolling it out here. You just have to declare mm -hmm. it as your primary residence and you can actually get a license. Um, so for those ones, they do check. They're very extensive in making sure that, you know, you legitimately, that is your primary residence. But as long as you're following those rules, the license has been pretty smooth to get. So for those people, it's great to scale out there might be tricky as one person. You'd have to get pretty creative. But um, again, our portfolio for the most part is, is safe. And then in resort towns like Whistler and Topino are a few examples. They're actually exempt from these as of now, um, just because, again, they're primarily sourced by tourism and you know they get a lot of people coming in there for that so and like chris said like part of the so just to back up like part of the regu new regulations with bc one of the phases in the rollout includes having to declare to the provincial government that you have this license and they're share this sharing of information and they're trying to force airbnb to also share this information with the provincial government so in terms of like how is the cra gonna know like i think it's going to be they're going to force Airbnb to give more information than what they're giving. And they're also going to force as part of the license program, people who are applying for a license to give information and to allow both the municipal and provincial government to take information about this. And then obviously probably give it up the chain to the CRA. So I do think that they're going to know. And I think kind of gone are the days where people can operate in the gray and kind of slide it under the rug. Maybe three to five years ago, that was okay. And everyone operated fine. But now I think honestly, being in compliance is kind of the only way to go. Okay. Well, I want to come back to something that actually Andrew mentioned, which kind of startled me because I hadn't even really thought about it. And that was that, you know, there are squatters in some Airbnbs that they've had to, that your clients have had to evict, which I, I don't even, I, I, okay, I try to wrap my head around this one. 
I'm sure you have. Spencer and Ashley, have you had any situations like that where you've had people just move in and not leave? No, thankfully, no. We're going to find a piece of wood here to knock on. We do a pretty extensive vetting process. Not to say that it can't happen, but I mean, there are great people like Andrew that you can have in your back pocket to help if, it, if you do run into a situation. Also, you know, Airbnb is fairly good with dealing with that in terms of not penalizing you for future, reserva future reservations, because those of you that have short-term rentals, keeping the ratings and canceling upcoming reservations is a big no, but from those that we've heard that had that situation, they've been fairly good. Obviously, the loss of income's there and it's tough, but again, it might be a good question for insurance. You have like a commercial grade insurance to see if you have some sort of loss of income that would qualify for that as well. But yeah, we fortunately haven't had any specific examples. I do have to stress, it is very rare. Like it doesn't happen often, right? It's because I, I only see it a lot because I'm looking through like a, a small telescope of a lens. People only call us when there's an issue. But and not only that, the Airbnb is not actually a, a part of the RTA. It's a commercial tenancy, right? So in theory, the police should just remove the individual out of the property. And that should be it. Sometimes, depending on which city it is, they can be a bit difficult to deal with in that sense. But Airbnb, Airbnb is kind of great in that sense because they have like a they have their own internal legal team now that will call the police in that area and deal with it. And that's been recently happening in Toronto because they're aware now of, of the police not really doing their jobs in that sense. But it's getting a lot better. But you're still seeing squatting before, like mid midst of COVID. And when I was dealing with Airbnb issues, as rare as they were, it would take like eight months to get a person out of a property from an Airbnb. Now, it takes like about a week, week, week and a half, oh. depending on how quickly the police respond. Yeah, so it's very rare. It's not something people really need to be worried about too much. There is still a loss, but it's not a significant one. If you're, you do have a couple of bookings that get pushed off, the long scheme of things is not as bad as it could be. Kind of like. Okay, all right. Well, that makes sense. And if you're in a situation, and Christopher, you mentioned this, where you kind of might have to look at your portfolio and say, okay, if you're going to go into this, be aware that changes can come. And, well, they can come in any strategy, right? You have to sort of build in your cushion, regardless of what strategy you've chosen. But if you're caught, and it can happen, life happens, right? Things happen all the time. How do you, how do you transition from, say, an Airbnb property? Or what are some of the strategies that you can use to convert your Airbnb to something else? Or your, I shouldn't say Airbnb, your short-term rental to something else. So who wants to grab this one? I mean, like going to the midterm strategy has become very popular. It takes some added work. Pricing has to change. Your avatar has to change. And it sort of depends on where you live. And if there's a need, but we've seen, we actually have a property right now that's kind of strictly midterm rental at the moment, and we've seen some good success, but that's obviously a, a strategy that can be changed. And there really isn't much you have to do internally with the house because it's already furnished, et cetera. It's just how you market that changes. And again, obviously the, the type of property that you're buying, if you're buying a $2 million luxury property to strictly Airbnb, that's the only thing that makes sense. You know, you're going to get in a lot of trouble if you get hit with restrictions when you're not able to continue to operate. So, you know, knowing what your backup plan is, if that day does come, is, is extremely important. So if you're going to invest in something that high of value, we would highly recommend to make very certain that it is like a very, you know, pro-tourism, short-term rental town um, because that you get hurt doing that. Right. Okay. 
And people transitioning from short-term rental to uh, medium-term rental, I don't think that this is really on the radar yet of any municipalities or the government. Is it? It's kind of that, that kind of a gray area because you're not signing a, a lease. And it, maybe you can talk about this because, you know, it's not a, a year-long lease because that's when everything kind of kicks in, right? Yeah, still, it really matters which city you're in, which district you're in. Like, you know, I was helping write a midterm rental contract a couple of days ago. And the difference between the contract being in lower beaches in Toronto or upper beaches is completely different, right? And if you're in Hamilton, if you're in Niagara, whatever it may be, those laws can change very specifically. And then bylaw has their own choices. Like there's, you know, Toronto has midterm rental rules that people must follow. And then other areas, like I was writing one for Halliburton, and there's nothing. Caledonia, also nothing. Muskoka doesn't has some, but not a lot. So it really does zero in uh, throughout the area. Like I, I have myself personally about th- have three midterm rentals and a couple other short term, but I have three inside Hamilton right now, and they're doing pretty well. And they're servicing right near the, the hospital near St. Joseph's, near my office. And um, it, it can be very lucrative, but the only thing I would say is know that the laws apply for the rental that you have because it is uh, it is a, a very potentially dangerous thing to do. And uh, the ramifications, if you are seen to be a part of the Residential Tenancies Act, you have to go through the whole RTA process in doing that. So doing it appropriate and doing it well is really important. And you know, if you are doing a midterm rental, it, it should look like a midterm rental. It can't look like a property. It can't look like a long-term rental. So those things are very important to hit. Okay. All right. Well, that's really interesting. Okay. What should investors be looking at as they move forward, as we move forward? Because, you know, properties come up for sale. Now, I don't know about um, what's happening in, in Ontario and the rest of Canada in terms of the market uh, right now. Uh, but I would think that with with interest rates the way they are, and you really got to pull out, pull out the calculator, right, to figure out whether you can actually make some money on this. Whether you have just a, a room in your home or maybe a separate suite because maybe it works, maybe it doesn't. Actually, I think I'm going to drill down on that one a little bit. Is it viable? Can you make enough money to make it worthwhile if you have a, a suite in your home? Because there's a lot of work that goes into it. And there's also insurance. There's all kinds of expenses that maybe people don't think about, right? Christopher, can you talk a little bit about that? Like, what kinds of expenses do you see that cross your desk when people are actually have a, a short-term rental within their home as part of their home, like a separate suite? Here, I'll, I'll answer that in two different ways, actually. So to give a very brief history lesson, you know, it wasn't too long ago that interest rates were 2%. And so and anybody who thought they could maybe stand to make some income was jumping into the market to buy something. Actually, not even primarily for the rental income and expense, more so for the capital appreciation, right? And so if we fast forward that, now what's kind of happened is that the market has done a nosedive and curved downwards, right? So people, many people are in this position where they're saying, well, I want to wait for the market to go back up. And some people think it will, and they're not wrong. In the meantime, since interest has also risen, they're actually having negative cash flow from their properties, depending on how their business model was set up in the first place. So 
Part of the answer to your question is it depends on how much you spend to acquire your home, right? Just like any asset, right? It's how many dollars do I have to invest to get dollars out? If you were trying to buy a mutual fund or something, that's how you would evaluate it. And housing really is no different because, you know, what's the dollars per square foot that I need to spend to get a dollar of rental revenue? And the lower that number is, the better of a deal you're getting, the better of an investment it is. So like some people, quite frankly, have put themselves in a bit of a box where they have to have negative cash flow until the market goes up. And then at that point, their strategy will more likely be to sell if they don't think there's a long-term perspective on the short-term rental side. So they're kind of just holding on in the meantime. I'll stop and make one tip there, which I can, maybe Andrew and Spencer will agree or can agree or disagree with, is that like, if someone right now sees this short-term legislation and decides to not go for the midterm rental, but go for a long-term rental because it's maybe easier than managing the midterms. As Andrew highlighted, it can be difficult to terminate lease contracts like long-term rentals. So it's hard to say how long some of this legislation will be around. Um, it's very new. It's very, it's been introduced. It's effectiveness is questionable at best, I would say. So it's hard to say how long some of that, whether it's the CRA stuff specifically or some of the other municipal stuff, because they all kind of have different reasons why they do what they're doing. So like the Muskoka's reason is different than downtown Vancouver's reason is different than CRA's reason. And so it's hard to say how much some of this will hang around. So as a piece of life advice, the first thing I would just say is don't freak out and don't lock into a bad, another bad situation too fast because some of this stuff may be gone faster than it came. Now that could be one or two years though. So, I mean, people do have to ask themselves the question, you know, would they rather take a loss on a property now? but avoid the negative cash flow going forward. I do see some people who, let's say, have multiple rentals, liquidating one to use their equity to pay debts down on the other ones to save interest costs. So that's one way people are reworking their business models. Other people are trying to do cash deals, so cutting out the bank and the interest costs. So they'll, instead of having a mortgage, they'll go find three, four investors to go in on a joint venture together. So that way they can not have the onerous interest expense. And obviously not worry about losing the deduction as well. So those are a couple of creative solutions. This is also just another good piece of accounting advice, which is if you're going to use high leverage, you have to be a little bit careful because people who really over leveraged themselves or had the riskier business models, those are the people who have put themselves, I would say, most at work and most at risk and have the most creative. You're going to need to find some creative solutions to fix their problem. Yeah, I just want to read out a comment here from someone. It just, it just caught my eye and it was from Brianna. And she said that our basement suite brings in $2,600 a month in Toronto as a short-term rental. And she spent $2,500 to set it up. So there you go. That's just one. You know, and, and everyone's different, right? Every, every municipality is different. That is good income for if you're living in the place. And that probably more than pays your mortgage every month. Of course, it depends how much you pay for that property, but you know, it's a good income and vacation rentals. So this is so strange. I read something not too long ago about the Osaka B or they were basically short-term rentals, right? Because that's the people, this is vacation country, but then because some of the municipalities, it was zoned for this and not for that. And does anybody know about what's going on with vacation rentals? particularly, you know, with summer cottages, it, it does, you know, a lot of Canadians own several places. 
but they're not there all summer. It's a short period and they want to rent them out. Spencer, Ashley, do you have any uh, sort of what we would call, quote, call vacation rentals or no? We'll see again. Um, so I, I didn't actually catch the first part. Are you specifically talking about Wasaga Beach? Because I heard that and then it froze for a second. Or are you talking about just in general people using oh, okay. like a summer home? Well, I I, I just brought, up, brought that up as an example. But I did hear like Wasaga Beach that there was a lot of um, a turmoil about who could rent their rent out their vacation rental because it was, it was almost like divided by, you know, neighborhoods that these people had cottages and so did these people. But these people could rent them out. These people couldn't. And I, my understanding is that the legislation that came down was not meant to penalize vacation rentals. You know, your typical cottages, right? Is that? Yeah, that, I mean, that, that, that would make sense. I know certain minis- every municipality is different, first of all. I guess there, there's certain areas, like we'll use Niagara and the Lake, for example. They're very pro short term rentals. They have a very easy to follow licensing program, but there are certain areas in Niagara and the Lake that you can't buy a property and have on uh, short-term rentals. Like they're, they're called fire lanes, they're private roads, a lot of them are waterfront. They would make fantastic short-term rentals. So without knowing those rules, you could look at the numbers and you would see that they would do extremely well. But if you didn't have that information beforehand, you, you could get in a bit of trouble. So I really think it's up to each municipality. I don't foresee a lot of municipalities that are going to roll out a licensing programs to be super strict like that but they could however put in some restrictions in certain areas like if there's an hoa or like a certain community that might not allow it we're seeing a lot of places that they must be detached homes and not townhomes or anything that's you know multiple units we've seen that in a few different municipalities um so it's really up to the discretion i guess of that area so i would highly recommend giving them a call or doing a, a lot of digging to make sure. We have to remember, too, that cities are looking to find a happy medium between having short-term rentals or vacation rentals, which obviously bring tourism into the city, which is great for the city, but also respecting the residents who want a certain peace and quiet and a feeling that the area is theirs and, and it isn't just a bunch of people coming in and out. So every city is trying to balance the two. So sometimes we do see where a place across the street is allowed to operate, but yours might not be. And, and that's just to say, trying to come up with some sort of compromise. Like you said, in, in Niagara on the Lake, like you can only do a detached house. It can't be a fire lane. And we have had people come to us and say, hey, can you manage our short-term rental? We just bought it. We're really excited to do Airbnb or put it on Airbnb. And we're like, you obviously didn't read the bylaws before you actually purchased the house because this is a townhouse and it's not allowed, right? I'll, I'll say. Okay. Oh, so in a townhouse, and I have a lake. So, uh, so sorry, because just let me finish this. So, in I have a lake, if you have a townhouse, according to the, to the, the bylaws, you can't have a there, uh, short term rental at all. Correct. Oh, okay. Interesting. All right. Sorry, Christopher, go ahead. Yeah. So, the last thing that I was going to make as a, just a point of life advice is that, you know, if you're an active real estate investor, you really should have a team lined up, accounting, legal, property management, realtors. One way of reiterating what Spencer and Ashley just said is being a realtor just got a whole lot more interesting uh, because I'm sure there are going to be some lawsuits of realtors telling people that, oh yeah, this would make a great little Airbnb, just sort of an off the cuff comment. And then always, and then there's a bylaw already on the books and 
all of a sudden, hey, what the heck? I was all line ready to do this. And if if they add a lot to the books, maybe that's different. But I mean, there's a lot in place right now already, right? And so this is going to definitely just mean investors have to become very sophisticated, very savvy, have good teams. The other thing that maybe I'll direct back to Andrew is that like one reason people do short-term rental in the first place is they're trying to avoid the landlord tenant board. It's, it's not actually an economic thing all the time. Like some many Airbnbs make more money, but some people go on Airbnb and they intentionally say, I'm not going to allow any more than 30 days, even though I could. And sometimes I could make a few bucks. I'm not going to let any more than that because I don't want to deal with tenancy. And so some of this is designed to collect more tax dollars at the municipal and government level. Some of it is designed to push people back in that other direction of creating the long-term housing because maybe some of the Muskoka examples and stuff, they might honestly have an economic problem, you know, where they actually can't make money. Whereas other people are just saying, well, I can avoid a whole bunch of laws if I just do short-term rental, right? So maybe your thoughts on that, Andrew? Well, I mean, yeah, that's the, it's so true. Well, mo most investors are doing two things inside Ontario and reasonable things. I completely understand it. I've sold all of my property inside Ontario. I had 50 rentals here in Ontario. I've got rid of them all. And I'm, I have all my, my holdings now inside Canada inside Alberta. But uh, the vast majority of people, if they're not doing such a thing and moving all their, their assets out, it's going to be moving towards short-term rental. And then after short-term rental doesn't work, people are moving on to mid-term rental. And everyone is just trying to escape the landlord and tenant board. Because, you know, I don't know about any other sort of industry where you can have one problem and it can make someone go completely bankrupt, right? Because the wait times are so ridiculous and things haven't gotten better and they've gotten kind of worse in the past couple of months where we're still seeing even significantly more delays and issues. So yeah, there, there's a vast majority of people uh, that are doing this because they want to escape those laws. And I completely understand it. They're very, you know, they could be difficult laws to abide to because they're waiting in one one way and that's sort of it and i sincerely hope that it, it sort of changes but for right now yeah there's a lot of people that are just do want to do short-term rentals or midterm simply because they just don't want to be a part of the rta anymore and this is the government's hope is that they're trying to force those people back to to the long-term rental sort of sort of scheme right right you can certainly understand because there is such a lack of housing in this country but it's not just in this country, right? It's the same thing all over the world. Just ended its golden visa program for real estate investors. Why did they do that? Because people flocked to Portugal and you could get in there for something like, oh, I can't remember what the, the price of a property was. It was really low. And what was happening is that people were flooding in from North America in particular and probably other countries in Europe and just literally the Portuguese people can't afford to live in their in their cities anymore because it's all short-term rental and because people have bought it up for this golden visa. So that program has been canceled. Can't say that I blame the government for doing that. I don't think that's going to happen here. And I don't believe we have a golden visa program, although I could be wrong. And if I am, please correct me someone. But it does happen. And this is just wait, I think the thing in Canada is that we forget that we're part of a part of the world, right? We're not the only people that have real estate issues. Yeah, we get caught up with the landlord-tenant board and we get caught up with the taxes and the regulation and all the rest of it. But as Spencer and Ashley quite rightly pointed out, 
sometimes more regulation is better because at least you know what you're dealing with versus those muddy gray areas where you can end up spending a lot of time and money and going to Andrew and other legal uh, professionals to get you out of the mess that you got into that you didn't even know you were getting into, right? And then you have all the financial issues. But let's talk a little bit about insurance because that's always been, I think, to me, a really interesting question. So if you have, you know, if you have your own home, you have, you're going to have home insurance. Of course you are going to have house insurance. If you're a tenant, please, I hope your tenants have a tenant insurance because that's really important. Uh, But short-term rental, what kind of insurance is available? What kind of insurance do you use for for short-term rentals? We hope you enjoyed this and found it informative. Look for episode two about short-term rentals next week. Thanks for listening to the Right Club Podcast, where the focus is on helping all levels of real estate investors advance to the next level and help you customize your life. Be sure to tune in next week at rightclub.com slash podcast or wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you get a few seconds, please rate the podcast wherever you're listening. It helps the show get noticed by others like you. And we truly appreciate it. And don't forget to subscribe.